listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. If you haven't got a pencil there, get one because I know you're going to want to write down our next guest's contact details and I'll be putting them out through the show. He's one of our favourite guests with listeners. It's the incomparable, the marvellous, and fabulous Wally Richards. Good morning, Wally. Good morning, Rodney. And good you know, morning, Wally. Yep. Ah, you've got such a great personality, Wally, and everyone l- loves you, and you're getting a lot of contact from people, right, off the show. Oh, yes, yes. I've had phone calls, emails, people ordering books through our mail order website and products, um, and the compliments uh, back from the people have been excellent, lovely. Even some people that said, I'm a very experienced gardener. I listened to your show and I learned so much. I know. My goodness. I know. I had a lady email me. She said she's been gardening for 48 years and she was listening to me bumbling about my garden, questioning you. And she said she learned a lot. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Now, I want to make a plug for your books. And I know if people want to get them, they've got to get um, them quick because you're down to your last box on one of them. There's, I've got Wally's Down to Earth Gardening Guide, which I haven't got through, but I'm working my way through. I sort of pick it up and dabble in it, and I love it. I've got Wally's Gardening and Health, which, to be fair, I haven't started. And I've got Wally's Glasshouse Gardening, which I've read three times. And you've got a great style of writing, Wally. And you're going to have to write a special reality check radio edition because I know you're getting down on your book uh, on your books. So if people want those books, they need to get in uh, and get them. I hardly recommend them. Um, and bear in mind, I'm just a beginning gardener. But here's how you can contact Wally. You can phone him amazingly, and you won't get um, push button one, push button two. Actually, Wally will answer. And he doesn't mind, which is even more, more amazing. Tell me if I get this number right, Wally. 0800-466-464. That's the one. And if you like, I can play the game when I answer the phone. I can say, uh, this is da-da-da. Now, if you want Wally Richards, push button one. <laughs> or if you want Wally Richards, push button two. <laughs> God, those things infuriate you, don't they? Oh, yeah, for sure. And then you wait 15 minutes yes. and they, they play the same music over and over. Yes. Oh, my and God. Then, and then you lose your signal on your phone because you've got a crap signal and you've got to start over again. And you can email Wally. I'm a more of an email person. Wally, uh, J-R, so it's Wally, J-R, one word, at gardennews.co.nz. And he's put a trick in. He only wants to be emailed by people who have got a good memory and are clever. And so in order to do that, when he did Garden News, there's only one N in Garden News. People like me always want to put two Ns because we think Garden News. No, no, Garden News, one word. So his email is get a pencil, wallyjr at gardennews with one N, .co.nz, or give him a call, 0800 466 Now, Wally. What should we be doing in the garden now? Okay, just one thing before we go there. Um, We also have another website, which is our mail order website. So if people want to order the books, now the mail order website is the same as our 0800 number. So it's www.0800, 
466-464.co.nz. And that's all the books and everything else that we have is available there. You're a, you're a marketing genius doing that. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> what should I be doing in my garden? I've got lots to tell you what I have done, but you tell me. Okay, at the moment we're heading into winter. So uh, a lot of people will have plants which are frost tender. They need protection through the winter time. So the ideal thing, of course, is to either use frost cloth, which is cumbersome because you've got to put it on if it looks like it's going to be a frost and then take it off the next day. We have a product called VaporGuard. Now, VaporGuard is a spray-on frost protection. It's simply made up at 15 mils per litre of warm water, ideally, into your sprayer and spray over the foliage of any of your plants like citrus, etc., uh, avocados, um, passion fruit, all those ones that can get damaged quite severely by frost. Spray it over the foliage on a nice sunny day so the film dries quicker. Now, the film is a polyphenolide film, and what happens is after you've sprayed it over, it protects the plant from UV. Now, UV hampers the plant's ability to produce um, carbohydrates through photosynthesizing, right? So as a result of the film, it's a sunscreen and the plant will be able to photosynthesize to a max from the sunlight. That means the foliage will go to a much darker, richer green within three days of application. Now, when it, this happens, because it's producing so much energy from the sun, it also produces a thing called glycosol. And glycosol is antifreeze. So it's like your antifreeze in your car to stop your engine seizing up or whatever in the, in the cold weather. The antifreeze protects the cells of the plant, which still freeze with the frost, but as a result of the antifreeze, they thaw out without any damage. This works a treat if you have the occasional frost, but if you have two or three frosts night after night, the plant doesn't have a chance to completely heal before it's hit again, and then the leaves start to turn black. So for the first frost, magic. Second frost the following night, you need a bit of frost cloth or a sack or something over the plant to give it that added protection. On the fourth or fifth night uh, without a frost, two or three days later, it's once again the plant's healed and it gives you ideal protection, down to minus three for three months. So one wow. application lasts for three months. And say you've got a typical garden, is it very expensive to spray your plants? No, the 100ml bottle makes up six litres of spray, um, which um, is probably enough to do the more tender plants in your garden. Some people use it on bromeliads, etc. And if you just hang on a second, I'll grab you the price. Yeah, the price for the 100ml bottle is $20. Well, that's not bad. Now, one thing that you got me lost on was, and that won't hurt the plants, what you spray on them. No, no. In actual fact, it enhances the plants. VaporGuard 
has got a lot of uses. Um, besides giving frost protection, um, it also reduces the amount of uh, transparent uh, moisture loss, should I say, out of the foliage. So in the summertime, if you have a drought situation, you spray the plant over and under the foliage and the moisture requirement the plant has reduced by about 40%. If you're transplanting seedlings, you know how you get your seedlings in a little punnet and so forth, and you you wet it down, you take them out, um, and you plant them into the ground, they lay down, and it takes a few days before they pick themselves up and start to grow. If you spray those seedlings with vapour guard before you take them out of the punnet and just leave them for a day or so, then when you take them apart, it reduces the damage you've caused to the roots and hence the plants go into the ground, they stand up like little soldiers and they grow. So would it be good for my little beech plants that I've got? Yeah, yeah, for veggie plants particularly. Um, you do not want to ever stress your young veggie plant seedlings, unless they're tomatoes or fruiting plants, okay. brassicas, silver beet, etc. If plants get stressed, the first thing that they want to do is reproduce themselves. So as soon as they get a growing burst, they will go to seed and oh. your crop's lost. And how do you avoid stressing them with the vapour guard? Um, because... It reduces. I know. I get how it does it, but when you say don't stress them, you mean before you transplant them, give them a spray with vapor guard two days before, and then transplant them, and that stops the stress. Yes. Yeah. Because it takes the stress off the roots, um, trying to re-establish because the foliage doesn't require a lot of moisture, and that's what the roots are providing. So. How do I tell which of my plants are frost sensitive? Because they're just plants to me. How do I de- identify frost sensitive plants from non-frost sensitive plants? Um, good question. Um, and a difficult one. You know by experience from previous seasons, winters and so forth, that your passion fruit vine got knocked, your uh, hibiscus got knocked, um, your uh, avocado. Young foliage on plants is very tender. So plants that have been fed um, a reasonable amount of nitrogen up till winter will have what we call soft, sappy growth. Now, that sappy growth, even on hardy plants, is vulnerable to um, cold winds and frost damage. Mm. So down your neck of the woods, of course, your frost there, it's more difficult to grow citrus trees, lemon trees, etc. So ideally the people there are going to be spraying their plants uh, with vapour guard or using frost cloth to protect the plants from uh, the cold frost in the winter. And when you do a frost cloth, uh, Wally, you don't need to build a frame. You can just rest it on the plant. Yes, but... That in itself can cause a little bit of problem because it is sitting on the plants. Moisture coming off the foliage is going to impregnate into the cloth and that's going to freeze. So ideally, 
it works pretty well over the plants. In the old days, we used to have sacks. You know, the old sacks, great yes. big sacks you used to get your potatoes or stuff in. Um, we just used to throw one of those down. They were thick, thick, and they gave ultimate um, protection. So frost cloth over the plants gives reasonable, but you can get a little bit of damage where it's touching the foliage. So you'd be, be better if you could get some sort of frame and get them off the plant. True, but that's very difficult um, yeah. depending upon the size of the plant. Um, little plants, easy to do, but uh, once you get up, say, two or three metres tall, um, it's not so easy to get your frost cloth over with a frame unless you have a frame there anyway because you've been protecting the fruit from bird damage and you've got bird netting or whatever over. And you can't leave the frost cloth over the, in the day because it stops the sun, is it? Why do you, can't you leave it on for a day? Well, it reduces the amount of light getting okay. to the foliage, and as a result of that, the plant um, is going to suffer. And it's possibly going to make the plant stretch because whenever plants want more light, they will stretch towards the light. Yes. And so that stretching can make them weaker, and that's a problem too. So the, the the biggest problem with tender plants is you go to bed at night and you look out before you go to bed and you see, oh, it's windy or it's cloudy, there won't be a frost, right? So off you go to bed, you wake up in the morning and there's a real good frost because during the night the weather changed. Clouds removed, wind dropped, it became still, and at that point of time, um, with the cold temperatures, a frost occurs. Mm. Now, um, another sorry, <laughs> I, I just—it's harder than raising a baby. Um, no, really, because you don't have to change any napkins, <laughs> and you don't have to <laughs> dispose of them or wash them. Mind you, to be fair, when they were babies, my wife wouldn't agree with me. It was for me as dad, but I don't think mums would agree. I put my foot in it with that one, Molly. Um, uh, just everyone, you're, you're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're getting real gardening talk with Wally Richards. Um, you can email me at inbox at realitycheck.radio or text me at 2057. That's the number to send a text. And uh, Wally, you can call him on 0800 466 What else? Uh, we've got the frost cloth. We've got the vapor guard. Uh, what else should we be doing, Wally? Okay. The ideal thing, too, is to harden up your plants going into winter. So to harden plants up, which means during the growing season, we're going to use animal manures, nitrogen, etc., cetera, uh, to get the growth. Now, in the wintertime, we don't want soft, sappy, nitrogen-occurred growth. So we harden up by applying um, sulfate of potash or potassium sulfate, and that hardens the plant up and makes it more sturdy against the uh, winter winds and cold. Also, another problem arises. Just, just stop there, uh, Wally. It was sulfate of potash, mm -hmm. and you said something else. Uh, yeah, sulfate of potash, and it, well, this, another name for it is potassium sulfate. Oh, it's the same thing. Yep, same thing. And. Um, I went into Bunnings 
and I was having a look at for potash, and they had all sorts of added stuff, but I just want the sulfate of potash. Yeah. They, uh, they had nutrients in it and all the rest of it. Um, and I thought, that's not what Wally told me to get. He just wanted sulfate of potash. Yes, that, that's correct. Okay. But in actual fact, there's another uh, element, magnesium, right? Magnesium is what makes the foliage green, helps photosynthesize, that sort of thing. In the wintertime with the cold, magnesium tends to get locked out in the soil. So as we go into winter, we see our lemon tree starting to go yellow in the foliage, and it's through lack of magnesium. So ideally, we apply magnesium, Epsom salts, along with the potash. Okay. And we have a particular product called fruit and flower power. Now, that contains 55% potash and 45% magnesium. And you sprinkle that around underneath your plants on the soil, lightly water it down, and that will give the extra magnesium and the potash that the plants need to get through the winter. I just need to do it once for the winter, Wally? Um, yes, for the winter, um, one application. The product is also used for your tomatoes, your fruit trees, etc. during the season while they're uh, flowering and while the fruit has been produced. And during the season, you apply it once a month because okay. you want to have good flavour in your fruit and good flower set, et cetera, et cetera. So um, fruit and flower power is used then during the season for your fruiting plants. But at this time of the year, one application going into winter is sufficient to harden your plants up and make them more durable and keep the foliage green. Can I, can I have a wee brag, Wally, about what I've learned from you? Mm -hmm. You apply it quite to the root zone. Yep. See, I never knew what a root zone was until I started talking with you on this show, so I'm learning. Okay. And as above, so below. You've heard that expression, yes. right, yes. in Christian sense and so forth, but in the plant sense, whatever the canopy is, the root zone underneath will be the similar. Okay. So uh, sulfate of potash, magnesium, or what we call Epsom salts, don't put it all in the bath, give some to your plants ahead in winter to harden them up. I sound like such a gardener now with all this coming out of my head. My head's about to explode. What else should I could I be up to, Wally? At the moment in the garden, um, basically it's a matter of keeping your weeds under control. Um, mm -hmm. Ideally, weeds um, should be looked after while they're still quite small, uh, having germinated up an inch or two. And the best way I find with them is I just take a nice sharp carving knife and I just scrape it across the soil and wipe them out. It's as simple mm. as that. Um, if you do it when they're small, once they get up in size, I, I once again, I prefer to use a carving knife for weeding because you can cut underneath the soil and cut the foliage off from the root system and leave the roots intact rather than pulling the weed out. The advantage here is that those roots that remain in the soil will 
uh, decompose and provide food for the plants around them. So your um, weeds have become valuable. And also the foliage that you cut off the top, of course, you can put that in the compost heap if you wish. Or if the weather is reasonably warm and sunny, such as during the summertime, you can just lay it on the ground and that will be absorbed back into the soil very quickly um, by the um, breakdown activity of the microbes in the soil. Are there some weeds where the roots will keep growing? Yes, um, but if you, well, it depends. You've got things like convolvulus, of course, where you only need a little wee bit of root and it's away. Um, you've got other plants which um, have a tap root, and if you cut the head off the root or the crown uh, with a knife, that root will just rot in the ground. Okay. So it's sort of, but you're never going to get that last root of a convolvulus anyway, are you? Um, it, it takes time and it's difficult. Um, the problem, of course, is you can clean up your um, backyard, but it's coming through the fence yes. from the neighbours who are not so concerned about it and um, they just let it go. If that's the case, there's a couple of things that can be done. One lady told me one time that she had a problem with convolvulus coming through um, from the neighbours. So she got a bottle and she put some Roundup in the bottle with um, water, of course, locked it back to about 10% dilution. And she got the uh, runners of the convolvulus and put them in, into the bottle. So they grew into the Roundup. Wow. Right? Now, in That's that case, clever. it goes back to the source. So it's taken right back, and you're cleaning up the neighbours, what's name, and solving your problem in your and your place. Course, and you're not spraying Roundup everywhere. No, you're not spraying it anywhere, and you're not That's doing any clever. damage to your soil. That's very, very clever. Um, Are you a fan of weed mats, Wally? Yeah, I love it. Um. It's great stuff. It could suppress um, weeds in a given area. Um, if you're going to have, like, shrubs, like weed mat is not much good for veggie gardens. It's, it's more for the ornamental shrub um, gardens where you put that down, you cut an X on it, you put your... Um, rose or whatever plant you're going to plant and then you fold it back and pin it and so uh, it keeps the weeds from coming up except for where the cuts are and then you cover it over with uh, the likes of bark or scoria or whatever the danger is, remember in the old days we used to use scoria and people would put black plastic yes. down yes. and then put the scoria over it, made it look really nice. Any plants growing there after a couple of years would die because the black plastic doesn't allow the soil to breathe. So hence it becomes very sour, acidic, and a lot of disease pathogens can happen underneath that and the plants just die um, as a result. Yes. 
So weed mat, of course, allows the soil to breathe, allows moisture to go down when it rains or when you water, um, and you can sprinkle fertiliser, slow-release fertiliser onto uh, the gravel or the um, bark, whatever, and that will leach down into the what's that? On the other hand, weeds, seeds can land on the weed mat or on the bark and they will root up and they will um, become weeds in your <laughs> weed-free garden. <laughs> but they're fairly easy to pull out because the weeds have to go down through and, and you can just uh, pull them out quite simply. So it's a matter of – it's not a thing which will allow um, total weed-free time. Well, I've got a, a question for you, but I've got a story to tell you. Uh, if I may, and with listeners' indulgence, because I know you want to hear from Wally, but it's sort of getting to Wally's point. So, Wally, I didn't believe you that I'd be able to get a free glass house, right? You were saying, oh, yeah, go on neighbourly and, you know, look out and you'll get a free glass house. Well, I started to sign up to neighbourly and it got too difficult for me. They wanted too much information. And when I looked on, there didn't seem to be much. And then my wife said to me, oh, there's a, someone's got a glass house, a greenhouse, whatever you call them, over in Hawea. And they it's free to just pick up. Well, I couldn't believe it, Wally. So I got it. I got the trailer out. I drove over the hill to Hawea. And there was this glass house for me because no one was home. It took a bit of effort. What the fellow had done was he had got from the, what do you call them, the recycle shop, he'd got this plumbing pipe tubing, mm -hmm. and he'd made these big uh, tubes, put them onto Waratahs, if you can picture that up, and then he got the polycarbonate sheets, plastic uh wrap from Red Paths and put it over and made two doors. He was a carpenter. It was quite tidy. And he'd had that running for five years, and now he's putting in a bigger uh, glass house with, uh, I think, proper glass. He's got it all ready to go. So I picked all that up, and I've brought it over, and I'm assembling it inside my nursery, which is rabbit-proof. But um, So I'm very, very excited, Wally. But right. I've got a question for you about the weed map. I'm not going to concrete it because it's not going to be very permanent where it is. Should I put weed mat inside it? You're not going to grow in the soil itself inside. I hadn't. Structure. I hadn't thought to, but I'm happy to. What would you recommend? Um, well, you've got two options uh, because it's going over existing soil. Mm -hmm. um, you could quite easily treat it as a garden with cover over it. What you've got is, of course, is not a glass house; it's a tunnel house. You tunnel showed house. me a picture oh, yeah, picture yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, Tunnel houses uh, are relatively inexpensive compared to glass houses, um, and they're very good. They last as long as the plastic, and then you get another sheet of plastic and put it over, and they're relatively easy to replastic compared to um, using plastic sheeting on a um, more permanent structure like a glass house. Okay, so... If you want to grow in containers and have it weed-free in the glasshouse, then, yes, you can put down 
you could put down weed mat, but in your particular case, you could use the black plastic because you don't care about what happens to the soil underneath. Got it. And, and the black plastic will be uh, much better and it will help generate more heat as a result. Yep. Yep. And then over the black plastic, rather than bark, I would put pea metal, you know, the nice little stones that they use on the streets. For yes. the, yep, pea metal. Once again, it's a heat trap. So you sit your containers on top of um, the pea metal, plastic underneath, and you grow your containers in a very sheltered, uh, nice and warm environment. And the advantage of having them in containers, of course, is you can move them around. Um, you can take them out um, if necessary and, and uh, give them some fresh air, whatever reason, mm. and you can put new ones in. Uh, they're mobile. Mm. Well, the other thing I got, and I hope I'm not winding everyone up talking about uh, myself and questioning you, but I'm hoping that some of this is useful and of interest. I got a whole lot of drying trays. I picked them up for next to nothing, and they were for drying tulip bulbs or keeping tulip bulbs or something like garlic. And so I'm going to grow a lot of seedlings in them. So that's been wonderful. And so I am I am taking everything that you say on board. But I had a thought, Wally, in the night, and I hope you won't fall off your chair laughing because I'm so stupid. Right? No. But I've got a lot of compost on the go. So once word got around that I was after some horse manure, I've been inundated with horse manure. And uh, I went and bought two big, um, barley straw bales heavy mm -hmm. as hell and I got them the only trouble is they got a wee midge in them which bites you and it, is, it gives me a very nasty rash so I have to be very careful around it and wrap myself up so I got that and I'm making a lot of compost and I couldn't believe it Wally because my little temperature thermometer turned up from China and I tested it against my good thermometer, and it's not too bad, right. uh, plus or minus four degrees sort of thing. I've got my I've got my uh, compost up to fifty to sixty degrees Celsius. Okay, which I'm very excited about, and I sort of rush out there and put the thermometer in it. But I was thinking this: Why wouldn't I make a wee bin inside my greenhouse, make it like a bench, and put I don't know, a couple of cubic meters of compost inside my glass house to keep it warm at night. Yep. So you're talking about a raised garden, basically. Yes. What I'd do is I'd take these trays and make a box and fill it with compost. And then I'd work on top of that and it would be giving off heat. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's not uh, stupid. No, no. Um, in actual fact, it's a little trick we use. In the beginning of the season, when the soil is cold um, and the sun hasn't got to the point of actually bringing the soil temperature up to 10 degrees, so if we want to plant something and get it going better, we actually make a trench um, about a half spade depth or so, or spade depth. We go and mow the lawn and catch, take the clippings of the lawn 
and fill them into the trench and press them down, put some soil over the top, and then plant our seed or seedlings into that. Now, the heat from the decomposing grass underneath really warms up and um, the seeds germinate and the plants grow. And by the time the plants get up growing, um, the roots are going down into all this food. It's, um, it's amazing, the, isn't it? Yeah. And, of course, one of the things that I've learned from your books and as you think about it and as you look at a commercial market garden, you realise that, I think I'm right in this, that the soil is virtually sterile of microorganisms. Correct. And you notice in... um, as I've done this composting, it's just, you you know, you can see the worms, obviously, and the bugs. But, mm. of course, if that compost is turning over at 50 degrees Celsius, there's a heck of a lot of microbial activity in there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so when you look at a market garden done with machinery, fertilizers, the soil is just the nutrients that they put in it's not actually that complex of microorganisms like we've learned to love in our gut, uh, like we've learned learned to love when we ferment food. And when you look at the soil, it's quite dead compared to, say, soil that's been composted. Right, yep. Of course, market gardeners did not used to be always like that. I'm going back 50, 60 years ago, and... I used to have a friend whose father was Chinese and he had a market garden just outside of, well, it was basically in Palms North. And what they used to use in those days was um, a lot of blood and bone. Um, They used to buy ton bags of blood and bone from the works. And it was good blood and bone in those days because it wasn't being side-dressed to use for animal food. as it is these days, so you had very good stuff and they would apply that to the ground along with any other animal manures that they could get hold of and everything grew naturally. They had the soil was teeming with soil life. It was only through the advent of introduction of superphosphate, which is acidic in its nature, that um, that changed things. And then urea and nitrogen was applied to force plants to grow. So in a commercial growing situation these days, within a couple of seasons, good soil has been turned into infertile soil, and it's only the side dressings of lots of uh, fertiliser that make the plants grow. And that basically makes unhealthy plants. And when you have unhealthy plants, the problem is in nature that nature's cleaners, which are the fungus diseases and the pests insects, they come along to destroy those weak plants because that's what their job is. But, of course, the commercial grower, he's got a problem. He can't have his crop lost because he's got a lot of money invested. So then he can sell his sprays and starts chemically spraying the um, plants to prevent the fungus diseases and the insect pests, and that adds more chemicals to the soil, and whatever soil life was left is going to be knocked out 
by those chemicals as well. And then, unfortunately, when you come to eat that stuff, um, it's not that healthy after all. Well, I, I, um, I'm learning that, Wally. Thanks to you. Before, before we were talking, I had this. I built this um, rabbit-proof fence for my place, and I had, I threw a bit of that Bunnings cheap compost in a little box and threw some lettuces in, lettuce seed in, that I'd actually picked up from my mother. And I was shocked. I just threw them in. I was a bit like Jack and the Beanstalk. I just threw the beans, the seeds in and forgot about them. Blow me down. I have these wonderful lettuces that are growing in this compost. I can't believe how many weeks they've been, we've been eating them. Um, but what's ex- what's amazed my wife and I is how long they keep just in the in the fridge compared to the ones you get in the shop. Yep. yep. They're just so much healthier, right? And the taste, the taste, the taste is superb. Yeah, my tomatoes were tasty. Well, they're going to get better because I'm putting, I'm putting the you know the proper stuff on them now too. They're getting them properly fertilized. By the way, I did the, I got the little um, pH strips, and uh, I did, I did it, did exactly like you said. I took a little bit of soil from around my garden, uh, put them in the water, and put my strips in. And the interestingly, the pH was six in my soil. Right. And I did my manure. Is it a surprise that that too was six? Right. Good. Excellent. Yep. And, and that's not bad, right? That's okay. No, that's that's a nice midterm. Yep. Um, what else can we be doing now, Wally? Okay. Now, some people uh, that have veggie gardens, um, the gardens, um, crops, if they haven't got winter crops in, well, from the summer, corn and pumpkins, those sort of things that they were growing, been harvested, and then the ground is bare, which is not a good thing to have. So what you do, you plant what we call is a green crop. A green crop is such things as lupin, etc. seeds that you throw into the garden, uh, rake over, they germinate and they grow up um, to maybe about 50 centimetres high or whatever. And then later on, before they actually uh, flower and set seed, you cut them down at the base. In the old days, we used to dig them in, right? We would get the spade out and uh, we would just turn it over and dig them into the soil. Nowadays, we change to cutting them off more or less to ground level. Um, you could use a weed eater or maybe in some case a lawnmower, but a weed eater is ideal. Or even a pair of hedge clippers go chop, 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 chop through, right? And you lay, lay the tops to lay on the soil, right? Then you could sprinkle over some um, garden lime and you could sprinkle over some blood and bone uh, sheep manure pellets, bit of animal manure or whatever, and then you cover it over with purchased compost. Purchased compost because it's weed-free, right, rather than your own compost, which may contain weed seed. And then all that mass will decompose in the soil very quickly if you've got good soil life. Microbes will be acting on it. And you've got a wonderful area for planting up your 
um, plants in the spring. My goodness. Uh, you're on. Uh, you're listening to Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking to Wally Richards. We're talking gardening. You can uh, ring Wally uh, and talk to his people. Uh, 0800-466-464. Talking to his people was a joke. Uh, you'll be talking to Wally. You can email Wally at uh, wallyjr, as in the show, at gardennews1n.co.nz. Uh, just get me on those planting the lupins. You plant the lupins on a bare piece of ground now you put the seeds in just sprinkle them and then you rake it so the seeds are covered maybe give it a bit of water and then they grow and how high do they grow wally um the the key to it it doesn't matter so much how high they grow but the story is once they start to flower they're going to set seed and then they would become a weed themselves because you have hundreds and hundreds of seeds. Uh, it's not only lupin, there's a whole range of things. Mustard. It could be oats, mustard, etc. And ideally, each type of plant has its own attributes. So rather than just planting, say, mustard or oats or whatever, a whole mix. Um, I, saw that, Bunnings, I saw Bunnings had a, a, I got a packet and it was already mixed. Yep. Ah, that's the logic of that. Okay, got that. So I've spread of that, and it's growing, and it grows over winter. Yeah, it'll get started off now, and um, because they're hardy plants, they will grow slowly through the winter time, and then basically as we start to go into the spring and you want to start to use the garden for maybe planting your tomatoes or whatever, lettuces, salad crops, uh, that's about the time you would cut them down and throw in some um, lime and a bit of uh, manure, um, blood and bone. Blood and bone is still good value. Cover it over with uh, just probably an inch or so of um, compost, and then you can plant straight into it. No worries. So I don't have to – I could cut them in the morning and plant in the afternoon, or do I need to leave it a while? No, because you've got that compost layer over the top, which is going to plant your seeds or seedlings into it. And and as we said before, if you can, it's far better to plant seed than to plant plants, Yes, right? Because the seed will go down with its roots and form a very good root structure, which means your plant will be that much better off as a result. Okay. Now, I don't know. I always worry that you're going to laugh at me, Wally, but you're probably too kind to, but listeners will laugh at me as I blunder my way through my garden. Um, I planted brassica. Mm-hmm. Uh, I planted, sorry, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, and cabbage in a wow. nice line. And I have also planted, I think, onion and something else. It'll come to me, but there's, but the cabbage and the collie and the broccoli are up about oh nearly an inch, right? Right. But, um, I planted them a bit thick, so I'm going to have to go through and thin them. Right. I can't bear to throw little seedlings away. What should I do? Okay, so 
you're going to have to take the seedlings out and they'll be close to each other, correct? Yep. Because you planted um, the seeds too thickly. Um, so the best thing to do would be to really wet the soil down. So put the sprinkler on or give it a good watering. That means if you're going to pull uh, the seedlings out that you don't want, that they'll slide out of the wet soil much easier. If the soil is dry, you'll break the roots for sure. Okay. You'll do some root damage, but um, generally speaking, most of the seedlings that you take out will be um, have good roots still. Now, if you want to plant more later on, what you could do is you could make them into a cluster or bundle together and put them back in the soil okay. as a bunch of seedlings, right? Yeah. The alternative to that, of course, is to give them away. Oh, of course. So if you've got friends or neighbours and so forth, you can say, right, I okay. had a friend once, Wally. Yeah, I had one <laughs> once. I got rid of them. <laughs> they got rid of me. <laughs> oh, they got rid of me. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I apologise. But um, you can give them away. But when I dig them up, though, Wally, why wouldn't I take a big clump of soil with them? Well, um, once again, if, if you've sprinkled them in a row and your cabbages or brassicas should ideally be in, let me get my little ruler out that tells me what the metrics are, they, they probably want to be about 20 centimetres apart. Okay. Right? They can be more than that, but about 20 centimetres is not too bad. Um, so all the ones in between the 20 centimetres, you could uh, lift up uh, with a, a little hand fork yeah. and make sure the soil's wet uh, and they'll lift up quite nicely. And then at the 20 centimetre points, da da da, you would uh, pull out the ones around it. And just throw them away maybe. And throw them away or whatever you want to do with them. Yeah. Could I put them in, the ones that I pick up, is it worth putting them in my tunnel house? Oh, yeah, yeah, by all means. Um, if you're growing, well, once again, it depends what you're going to do, whether you're growing in the soil or you're going to grow in containers. Um, if you're growing into containers, um, what we used to do, uh, see, say, for instance, you've got a 50 cabbages all mature about the same time. Unless you're going to pickle them or do something with them, you've got cabbages you're going to have to give away. So if we buy a punnet um, of cabbages and there's like 30 plants in the punnet and we only want to plant, say, 10 of them, what we do is we take the other um, 20 and we put them close together like they were in the punnet and put heal them into the soil. That means you make a hole and you put them in there and, and because they're close to each other, they grow a little bit, but not much. Then later on, say two or three weeks later, we can lift that clump up and then into a bucket of water to separate out the ones we want. So we might take another 10 of that 30 and we plant them out in a separate row and we once again clump it 
the balance of them and back in the soil. Wow. So instead of wasting them, um, we hold them by planting them as a clump. Very clever. Very clever. If if you're growing your plants in a container in the tunnel house, how much soil do you need underneath them? Depends a little bit on the plant you're planting, but the equivalent of about a 20-centimetre pot is usually ample for a cabbage or lettuce okay. or whatever, right? One of the things I like to do, you know, the um, polystyrene trays that um, you see uh, fish are being transported in to supermarkets, yes. etc. Yes. Now, polystyrene trays make ideal planters. So if you go to the supermarket and fish department or to a fish wholesaler, quite often they will either give them away or uh, with fish wholesalers you might charge you a dollar um, for the polystyrene tra tray, right? Now, once you've got your tray, um, you can fill that up with compost and other goodies, and you it's surprising how much you can ideally plant in there. You could, say, plant four brassicas, six lettuces, yeah. um, and, and each one would still have sufficient room. You put compost in and other goodies uh, into that. For drainage, the best drainage is not holes in the bottom, but holes in the side. So just up from the base of it, you drill your holes um, on the sides and the ends, um, and that means there's a, a certain amount of moisture that's retained at the base before it dries out. Surplus water will go out through the drainage holes on the side. Wow. It's amazing stuff, isn't it, Wally? It is. Uh, do you know, I um, – I have never gardened in my life, probably when I was a little boy, I threw, threw a few seeds and lettuces in the garden as you did at primary school. My mum and dad were absolutely fanatical gardeners and I never was interested. I don't know why, it just didn't interest me. And I'd sort of help them, but it was always reluctant. I never bothered to learn anything. And now that I've, with your help, got gardening, I almost don't care about the plants at the end of it in a funny way because I am finding it so, I don't know what, maybe therapeutic, maybe um, it is something very easing of the mind. Does that Ooh. make sense? I find yes. it a very, very pleasant experience. I go and do two or three hours in the garden because I'm setting it all up, so there's quite a bit to do. And it's feels very mind healthy. <laughs> I don't know quite how to explain that, but you know how you can end up um, stressing about stuff. You read, like even, I don't even bother with the news, but you know, you can end up reading the news and getting all stressed at the madness that people are up to in the world, but you go out into the garden and it just feels real and very pleasant. And of course, ultimately productive because you're going to get these veggies but the process itself, I'm not sitting there thinking, I'm doing this gardening, it's a bit of a fag, um, it's out here, I'm getting sweaty, and it's 
duty and oh well i'm only doing this because at the end of it i'll get a veggie or two no no it's actually the process is so enjoyable mm, yep yep and plants has have an interaction with people um so by going out even if you're stressed and you're uptight and so forth within a few minutes the tension disappears that's uh, right that's what i'm finding and, and the plants actually do that for you. Um, there's a, a communication. You've heard the old story about the guy um, who's got, say, a rubber tree plant in his house, right? No, no. A- and they connect up um, like a lie detector to it to measure the electrical uh, resistance in the plant, right? And then that person goes 100 miles away and cuts his finger, the plant has an immediate reaction at that same instant because the plant is in contact with the owner who the plant is dependent upon that person to water and feed it and give it ample light for it to grow. So the plant is vulnerable when it's in a container inside the house. And if something happens to the person that looks after it, it has a nervous reaction Mm. and hence it's displayed by a voltage change in a meter. Well, um, I can't tell you how much it has been because I suffered through that. I've never suffered in my life, but through that whole COVID experience and that lockdown and um, stand on the circle, stay three meters away from everyone, um, don't move, or... um, yellow tape around the kids' swings and slides at the park, um, mask up, that stuff, that actually drove me insane because Mm. I thought it was so wicked to do that to everyone and to society. And I couldn't understand why other people didn't seem to see that it was wicked. I just felt so lonely and so miserable. And I'll never forget standing outside the countdown supermarket in the rain in Christchurch on my little spot while someone's there letting someone would go out and then someone could go in, right? Mm -hmm. And you had to shop on your own. And in front of me is this poor young mum with a baby and a toddler standing outside on her spot waiting to go into a supermarket and apologizing to everyone because she had her kids with her. And she said, I can't leave them at home and I can't leave them in the car because you're only allowed, you know, the government had literally said you can only go into the supermarket one person at a time. And she was out in the cold, Wally. Anyway, the point of all of this is I I think I got very sick Um through all of this because it was so horrible to me uh so disgusting and meeting voices for freedom and then meeting other people that thought like me uh, helped enormously i think it almost saved me not saved me in the sense that i do any harm to myself but just saved me in the sense that oh my goodness going to the protest saved me you know i'm not alone but then the real thing that saved me is the gardening because it's just it soothed it soothed my jagged soul from the wickedness 
I've never seen anything. I've never described anything as wicked before, but to me that was so wicked. It was so wrong. It was, it was so just uh, evil or something. It just to do that to people, I couldn't believe it. Everywhere you looked, and people dying alone because their husband or their wife of 50 years couldn't be with them. Because why? Anyway, I've got right off the topic, but what I'm saying is, is I can't believe anyone anyone that's got a bit of time and you don't need, I've worked out, you don't need much space, just even having a rubber plant. <laughs> it's, it's amazingly soothing for the soul. Oh, it is, yes. And interestingly enough, during COVID times, the uh, popularity of houseplants escalated up like you would not believe. Um, it, it was amazing the amount of people that wanted to be associated with plants uh, during those times. They were locked in their houses virtually. Um, it was criminal, that's for sure. And, and now we, on reflection, we look back and the whole thing was a waste of time. Total, waste of time. absolute waste of time. And I still, when I go to the supermarket and I get to get out of my vehicle, I, I, I have a sigh of relief. I don't have to put a bloody mask on. Yeah. 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 I got fish. I got some fish for the kids, uh, tropical fish, just before the lockdown. I didn't know the lockdown was coming. It's just they wanted the pets. And um, I felt that, I'd end up looking after the pet. And so I said, well, let's try fish. And so I got some tropical fish and I set it all up. Um, and then the lockdown hit and I had to go and get some fish supplies because there's a whole lot of things you have to do with fish. I enjoyed it immensely, but I went to that, what's it called? Pets R Us or whatever it is, that pet shop. And I had to text them, ring them or whatever. And then I had to turn up outside their shop they were an essential service <laughs> i mean it's hard to explain now isn't it if someone you know in 50 years time how could you explain this a pet shop was a, a an essential service they were allowed to open and it was a cold wet miserable christchurch day and i turned up in my car outside the pet shop and then they'd given me a text number and then i had to text them and but they insisted and repeatedly that I had to stay in my car, right? Yeah, and this young boy came scurrying out and he did it in a sequence because there were three or four cars waiting. So they could only do one customer at a time. And he'd come running out of the door, scared with a mask on, place a um, fish food <laughs> on a pallet, and then rush inside. And then he'd text you and say it was okay now to go and get your fish food, but <laughs> only one person could get out of the car at a time. And I was watching this performance and they're all masked up. And I'm thinking, this is the very definition of insanity. Yeah. And um, it so deeply affected me because I always thought we lived in a sensible world. And I tell you how deeply it affected me. I spent my whole life working on what government should do for the best of people. You know, what what what's a thing that government should do to make people better off? 
you know, lower taxes, put taxes up, this regulation, that regulation. That was my whole thing. And you'd look at the options and you'd try and work out what was best to do and you'd have a debate and an argument about it. And that's how I thought politics and government worked. And it never, it never entered my head, Wally, that there would be a wicked thing to do and the right thing to do, right? It was always about we've got to make people better off and it's just choosing the um, the best option. And I looked at this and thought this isn't about what's the best option. This is wicked, wicked to kids, wicked to our old people, wicked. And it had never entered my mind before and that so affected me it so affected me so deeply inside that i couldn't believe that we could do that to each other right yep for sure and i get into my compost and those microorganisms and that fungus and then generating that heat and plants growing and it literally soothes my ravaged soul from that period because you're bringing life force I Else. guess. Yeah. I guess. I guess. I guess that is it. And I mean, uh, I got three little kids and that they're doing well, but I didn't even feel as though I could look after my kids in this period because the forces that you felt up against, you know, you take them to the park and you're only allowed to be there for an hour kicking a ball around or something. I could I could take them outside for an hour and then the neighbors would start looking at you sideways. And my little boy, he was, I don't know, five or six, and he went running after a soccer ball and he went too close to a lady who was out who was out walking her dog. And she went off her head at this little boy because he'd got within three meters or whatever the distance was. And she started to um she was terrified, Wally. Yeah. She was terrified of a little boy running past her at the park. The the thing, of course, was through the propaganda on TV, etc., people dropping dead on the street, etc., yeah. etc., and suddenly people felt vulnerable. Uh, they could die, my God, and they weren't ready. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> and and, and they put the fear of bejesus up there, my God. Um, How come you didn't get scared by it, Wally? I, I realised at the beginning we're talking about a cold, period. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it was man-made. It was a virus that man created, and they've basically proved that now, released it um, for evil purposes, once again, control, control. Um, our lovely Prime Minister promised Bill Gates that she would make all the population have a vaccination, which he was getting money for, etc. You know, all these things happen. Um, unfortunately, I still see people, not many, with masks on yeah. now. And, and because they're still worried that they're going to get co uh, this coronavirus, which I never vaccinated. Um I got the, the cold. Yeah. It was a bad one. Um, it certainly um, knocked me around for a couple of weeks or so. Um, 
and the repercussions afterwards. Like, um, interesting enough, I said to my doctor, um, at the same time as having coronavirus, I also got angina, right? Mm -hmm. And I'd had angina years ago because of a heart condition and, and that had all been fixed. And my doctor said, that's interesting. He said, um, when people have had coronavirus, even old injuries, like they might have broken their leg years ago, um, it's all healed, but they play up again. He said, it's it's old things that you've had in the past come back and hit you and cause you a bit of a problem. Because yeah, people yeah. have had cancers return too, haven't they? And they return quite yeah. aggressively. And that's also happened with the vaccine, I understand. Oh, yes. Even worse. Yeah. Now, um, so Wally, this this gardening has been wonderful for me and having you on the show and I, I get so much out of it and I hope listeners do too and I hope they forgive me for getting excited and talking a little too much but uh, you're on Reality Check Radio it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde we're talking real gardening with Wally Richards uh, you can give him a call 0800 466 464 he'll answer any problems that you've got he's a, a fund of information he does like you calling because then he can be like your doctor or your motor mechanic, because he can say, um, tell me what was happening just before <laughs> just before you got this. Uh, and you can also email him at wallyjr at gardennews.co.nz, but one N in Garden News. Uh, Wally, I'm on your email list, which I love. You write a right. great little reminder. Is it? It's each week, right? I seem to be getting it. Yeah, every week we and write an article. It's fabulous, Wally. Thank you for that. And people can go on your webpage and sign up. Now, in the in the one you sent out this week, you had just this marvellous idea for anyone that wants to make a raised garden. Mm, cheaply. And cheaply and easily. Are you able to explain that on the radio for us? Right. Okay. What you need is 1.8 metre roofing iron galvanized roofing iron right brand new ideally rather than the old stuff um the old stuff is cheaper but it's surprising it's not very expensive um to get like 1.8 meter lengths of roofing iron you also have your square um i think they're 100 by 100 fence posts and if you take the the width of the iron uh, is a certain, I, I can't remember what it is, but there is um, fence posts cut in half is exactly that amount of one sheet width. So ideally um, what you do is you get three sheets of roofing iron, 1.8 metres long. You get two of these fence posts and you cut them in half so they're exactly the same height as the width of the iron, right? Now, the fence posts are tantalised, and that's horrible chemicals in there to stop them from rotting. So the problem is you don't want to have that chemical leaching into your food crops because they'll be taken up and then you'll eat them yourself. So you get the acrylic paint out after you've cut them and you give them two coats of acrylic all over, right? That seals in the chemicals. Then it's very simply you lay two of the posts down 
you put your corrugated sheet of iron over them um, and you screw them on and then you do that twice with two 1.8 sheets of iron and then the third sheet you cut exactly in half, right? So it's going to be um, 90 centimetres long, 1.8, half of that, yeah, 90 centimetres. And that goes on the ends. So you've suddenly got yourself a box about waist high. Ideally, you don't put that on soil. Instead, you put it on a concrete pad or on concrete because when you put all the goodies into that, any plants nearby will recognise there's a whole lot of good stuff over there and they'll send uh, roots over, which will fill the whole thing with roots and it'll be useless after one season. So ideally, you sit it on a concrete pad and you sit it, you, you don't dig it in. Okay, would a weed mat work or would that not last? Um, you really need a concrete pad. Okay. It only has to be uh, an inch or two thick okay. because you're not going to walk on it or anything. So it doesn't have to be very thick, um, but that will stop any invading roots. Then you treat it like a compost bin. You get all your tricks and clippings and so forth, um, lawn clippings, and you throw that into the base of it, right? And you start building it up, building it up with um, all organic material. Till uh, you get to about half full, right? So it's just as like a big compost bin. All your kitchen scraps can go in there, anything at all, right? Then at that point, you would put um, some purchased compost over the top of that, just a layer. And then on top of that, you would put some things such as sheep manure pellets, horse manure, um, blood and bone, anything natural like that. And then you'd put another layer of compost. But you're leaving a gap between the top of the soil and the top of the what's name of about 20 centimetres. Yeah. Right? So you're about two-thirds full thereabouts. Now, you place the bin ideally so one long side is facing as near as possible to the north. So it's going to get maximum sunlight into it. That will heat up the contents. And as a result of that being about 20 centimetres from the top, that means wind will pass over. So your seedlings that you plant inside of it are actually in a uh, microclimate. They're not buffered by the wind. And they've got the warmth coming up for their feet. They've got the heat coming from the sun. And I tell you what, the first one I ever did, I planted some small seedlings of silver beet into it, and I, it was approximately two to three weeks later I'm harvesting. No. It was so quick, I was amazed. Um, they, they just grew like wildfire. Um, when I say harvest, I'm taking the outer leaves because they're big enough to take and, and left the plants uh, to produce more leaves, of course. But, yeah, it was really incredible. And it was the heat factor along with the protection from wind um, 
by wind passing over the top. The other beauty of it too is with butterflies or cats or any problems like that, it's easy enough to get a bit of netting, put a nail in each of the um, corner posts and, and stretch some netting across and the nails hold it secure. Mm. So um, that keeps everything off. And if it's bird netting, it'll keep the birds off. Um, if it's, uh, well, wire netting is the best, or that plastic netting, um, which stops the cats and birds from getting into it and upsetting the apple cart. And, of course, you can just peel it back because it's just held in place by those uh, four nails. Okay, let me let me cover it off. Um, so tell me where I've gone wrong. Ideally, you want a one-inch concrete pad down. You get three 1.8 uh, corrugated iron sheets mm -hmm. uh, that are 900 wide. So they're twice as long as they are wide. You cut one sheet in half, and so standing on its edge, uh, that um, is the width. You then get two 1.8-metre fence posts, 100 by 100, uh, tantalised. Cut them in half, so you've got four posts now, but they're 900. They could, I guess they could be a little bit smaller. And then you paint them, and you paint them with an acrylic twice so you don't leach out the arsenic or whatever it is they use to treat uh, wood these days. And then you screw your corrugated iron at the edge, two posts at each edge of the long sheets. Am I getting it? Right, yep. Then you sit them up and you take your half sheet and you screw them in so you've got the ends of a box. And then you sit your box on the concrete. Mm -hmm. yeah? Right. Now, you've got a, a, a box that's 900. That's actually the height of a table, I think. Mm -hmm. And then you throw all your composty things in there. Right. When you get it half full, Run me past that. You got that. You got it half full. Then what do I do, Wally? Right. Then over the top of that, um, actually a good thing to put over that if you've got cardboard or newspaper and so forth because that's all good uh, compost material and any weeds or whatever that may be in the stuff that you've thrown in, like lawn clippings, if the lawn or grass is in seed, of course, those seeds will be transferred into that and could cause uh, a weeding problem later. Cardboard, newspaper, over the top of that. Then on top of that, you would put some food, such as um, any animal manures, chook manure, horse manure, um, that sort of thing, blood and bone, sheep manure pellets, all of that, and then more compost over the top of that, taking it up to about two-thirds full in all, leaving a gap at the top of about 20 centimetres. Oh, that's 200 mil. So that's, 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 I've got that now. So it's like 450 of compost, put your cardboard down, then you put your food down, 
and you're going up to say 700 so you've got about 250 of food i guess i might have done my arithmetic well i got that yes 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 right actually i wrote an article which you've seen obviously yes. and i also included a picture of one in that article so if anybody emails me at my email address and says can i have that article it, i describe it um in writing how to do it um and yeah well, I didn't get the picture. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Well, don't be sorry, but um, I might go back. It might have been. A, I might. I might have done it wrong because I looked at it on my phone because I was reading it and I was trying to imagine it in my head, and I thought, I wonder why Wally didn't send a picture because that would have been handy because I was I was reading it and I was trying to picture it in my mind. Um, I'll go back and double check, but that is that was an amazing tip to me. Presumably, over time, it settles, Wally. Uh, yeah, because um, once you've had a crop in there and the crop's finished, harvested, then you're going to put some more goodies in. Um, and some of the things I recommend is like ocean solids, uh, which for the minerals from the ocean, some unlocking your soil, uh, which is minerals from rock. Uh, dust and then your know, animal manures, etc. A, a bit more fresh compost over the top, purchase compost, and then plant it again. Another aspect with it too is if you've got the room and you want to have a bigger one, you can simply take one end sheet off and get another two sheets of uh, iron, another uh, two posts. And you can extend it out by another 1.8 metres. Mm. And the end that you took off will become the new end down the other part. So you can start filling that up. And then you've got 3.6 metre raised mm. garden. Um, and you're not bending over doing your weeding and looking after your plants or harvesting them. No, it's nice height. Plants grow fast. Um, and like I said before, it's easy enough to put bird netting or netting over to protect the plants from butterflies or whatever. If you had no big plants around it, I'm thinking of myself, like it's in my garden, there's nothing big around that. Um, would I need the concrete pad? Um, a, a tree. No trees, nothing. Yeah, if, the, if it was bare land, like you're in a paddock, yeah. And there's no vines, no nothing anywhere no. near. Um, yeah, you could have it straight on the soil. Right, because the concrete pad, I don't want to be fluffing around, A, because I'm not. I'm going to have, probably have to shift everything at some stage. What a marvellous source of information. Oh, you are, okay, Wally. okay. There's, a, there's an alternative. If yep. you don't want to put the concrete pad there and there happens to be a tree 10 metres away, yep. for instance, so once you sit it on the ground, you dig a trench around it about a spade depth. So there's going to be a trench um, about the width of a spade all around it. Yeah. Roots coming across will not go through air. Right? Ah. So you could have that trench there. And um, also, if it's in the middle of a lawn, that means you've got a mowing strip sort of thing so you're not trying to mow right against the iron 
um, and said you're mowing um, to the edge of that strip trench. Well, you're amazing, Wally Richards. Um, we're going to have you on uh, again, and you can give us an update in a couple of weeks about where to go. It's Wally Richards. Wally, thank you so much for your knowledge and your experience and for being able to share it with me and listeners. I Look, if they get a fraction out of it, what I get out of it, um, we will all be well pleased. You're wonderful. Um, and you're able to explain it. Uh, so extremely well. So thank you for that. It's Wally Richards. You can get a hold of Wally on 0800 466 464 uh, or email them, wallyjr at one nz How do they get on your emailing list, Wally? Yeah, if they email me at the wallyjr um, at gardennews.co.nz, um, they just send me an email and say, would you put me on your weekly list? I put them onto the list. I send them uh, the latest one and uh, acknowledge them that they have uh, been put on the list and you've got it and it's all go from there. Marvellous, marvellous stuff, Wally, and you've got your books. Thank you so much, Wally. Uh, you're listening with Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's Reality Check Radio. Uh, we've had a tour of the force once again with Wally Richards. I'll be waiting for the emails to come in complaining that I talk too much and I'm trying to cut it down i'm trying to cut it down but i just get so excited and i we got a bit diverted onto covid too and the lockdowns and the madness but it's something about gardening that i never knew that it's soothing therapeutical therapeutical it's like sitting on a beach and just hearing the waves and and the sun on your back or sitting in front on a cold winter's night in a beautiful log fire going it's just a a wonderful regenerative feeling for your mind and your body so thank you wally stay tuned keep listening uh this is reality check radio thank you thank you you've been listening to real talk with rodney hyde on rcr Reality Check Radio.